food bloggers. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. Every once in a while, I have someone on the show who is just above and beyond interesting and fun and full of information and just a little bit extra surprising in the best way. And this was the case with the episode you're about to listen to. Adam Sobel from Cinnamon Snail joined me. He operated a very successful vegan food truck for many, many years. He worked in many restaurants and he has just such an extensive background with food and has recently dug into his blog and also online cooking classes. The bulk of our conversation talks about those online cooking classes and ways that he monetizes them. He talks through the technical details that you'll need to know if you want to do something similar and also really cool ideas about how to market these classes. I literally could have talked to Adam for hours. He was that entertaining, refreshing, and just an awesome, awesome person. I don't even have to say I hope you love this episode because I know you're going to love it. It is episode Episode number 432, sponsored by Rank IQ. Hello, my favorite people. Let's chat quick about some ways Eat Blog Talk can help you ditch the overwhelm, manage your time, feel connected, and prioritize that seemingly never-ending stream of tasks, platforms, and algorithm changes we're faced with. The Eat Blog Talk Mastermind Program is our signature offering and the best investment you will make in your blogging business. This is a transformative 12-month experience that will help you achieve your goals faster than you ever thought possible. Join the waitlist for 2024 groups. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash mastermind to get in on that. If the mastermind program is on your dream board, but you aren't quite ready to make that investment in your business yet, the next perfect step for you might be the Eat Blog Talk Mini Minds. This six-month program is designed to help you achieve your goals and overcome any obstacles that may be holding you back so you can experience the freedoms you're yearning for. Join the waitlist for groups starting in Q4 of 2023 at eatblogtalk.com forward slash miniminds. And if you are ready to learn, grow, and build relationships in person, join me and a handful of your fellow food bloggers at an upcoming Eat Blog Talk retreat. This is a great opportunity to convene in an intimate setting to learn, collaborate, and connect. These retreats involve mastermind-style peer-to-peer collaboration and are incredibly powerful and fun experiences. Go to eblogtalk.com forward slash retreat. To get information about all eBlog Talk services, go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash services, eatblogtalk.com forward slash services. Now back to the episode. Adam Sobel is the chef and owner of The Cinnamon Snail, a vegan food truck, restaurant, and catering company serving New York and New Jersey. Adam has cooked at the James Beard House, represented the USA at the World Street Food Congress in the Philippines, and teaches cooking at the Institute for Culinary Education, Degustibus Cooking School, and independently online. Adam has appeared on the Food Network, Cooking Channel, PBS, and several networks, and is the author of the popular cookbook, Street Vegan. The Cinnamon Snail was launched in 2010 as the country's first organic vegan food truck, and 
and rose to become one of the country's most sought-after food trucks. The Cinnamon Snail was nominated five years in a row for the Vendi Award, which has been called the Oscars of Street Food, and has won the Vendi Cup, People's Choice, Maker's Mark Challenge, and Vendi Hero Award for their outreach efforts serving free meals for months after Hurricane Sandy. In 2014, the Cinnamon Snail was the number one highest-rated place of any kind to eat in New York City, and the number four highest place of any kind to eat in the entire USA on Yelp.com. For almost its entire run, the Cinnamon Snail dominated BuzzFeed's top 10 list of best food trucks in the USA. Adam, how are you? I'm so excited to have a chat with you today. Thanks for being here. Oh, I am super Dudley Duper, and I hope you're doing fantastic as well, dear Megan. Aw, you're so sweet. Okay, so before we get into this amazing topic of yours, we all want to know if you have a fun fact to share with us. Yeah, so, you know, my fun fact is not that I live with a wallaby, because I do live with a wallaby, and that's kind of fun. And it's not that I'm actually a Hare Krishna, because that's also a truthful fact about me. And it's not even that I've probably eaten LSD in excess of 400 times in my life. (laughs) The real (laughs) fun fact is that I am sincerely obsessed with, I don't know if you're familiar with the guy who ate an airplane, but there's this guy, Michael Lotito, who ate an actual airplane. And it's like a real fixation of mine. I think it's just, everybody should probably sooner or later eat an airplane. That's my (laughs) <laughs> My feeling, I was just in um, like the south of France doing some culinary consulting for somebody like a week ago, and I was only two hours away from where the guy who ate the airplane is buried, and I was really bummed I didn't get to go chill over there. Okay, so did he, he must have done it like little bit by little bit or something like that? He had like a, I mean, as you can imagine, he has some like very strange digestive system, like supposedly yeah. he could not eat a banana and stuff like that. And he ate, like, you could check out his Wikipedia. It's crazy. Like, he got a Guinness Book Award, like this plaque, and he ate the plaque and everything. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But he did not die from airplane eating side effects. Like, he died from some other thing. So, What is this guy's name? I'm now intrigued. I don't know if it's pronounced Michael Lotito, but it's like M-I-C-H-A-L Lotito. Okay. But yeah, he's, he's, I think that should be like the deciding factor in the future for how somebody becomes president of the United States. It's like, <laughs> Have you eaten an airplane? Yeah, as long as you eat a bigger airplane than the other person, you're in. It should be like that. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. So I remember reading something about a guy who ate a bicycle when I was a kid. This guy ate numerous bicycles, so it could be the same Oh, maybe guy. it's him. He ate a lot of wild stuff. Okay, okay. Because I remember being like, wait a second. What? How did this happen? But an airplane, I mean, that's even more mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. So I have to look into this. Yeah, it's for real. He, yeah. In an interview I read, he said that the worst part of eating the airplane was eating the seats. So be, be oh. warned. Anyhow, let's get into this non-airplane-related conversation today. How am I going to get my brain off of this now? How are we going to talk about food trucks and videos, Adam? I know, it's kind of mundane. And I do love how you prefaced your fun fact with fun facts. That was amazing. Yeah, it's like inception of fun facts. Fun facts, fun, fun facts. 
Yes, right. Well, thank you for sharing all of those fun facts. Now I have reading material after the interview because I have to go learn about this Michael Lolito guy a little bit more. Yeah, it's on. All right. I'll follow up with you, let you know my favorite parts. Okay, so you have an amazing story. I love your just your story about starting a food truck and not just that, but it's wildly successful and it's a vegan food truck, which I love. And then you also have gotten into online cooking classes, which is something that's really relevant for food bloggers. But I think we're all just kind of curious about the food truck. I know I am. Would you mind telling us about that, like how you got started? I want to hear the whole story. I've been working in in vegan restaurants for like about a dozen years. And I'd been working at this one that like changed hands and then the new owners like ran it into the ground like really, really quickly. And the day that the restaurant closed, like I'd been working off the books in this restaurant for ages as, as is kind of common in restaurants, or at least it was at the time. And the day the restaurant closed, it was like the same week I was like closing on a house I was buying. And I was like, man, I really like going to need some kind of income. So I started doing a lot of like private chefing and a little bit of catering and stuff. And my wife and I had like a little stand we ran at our local farmer's market. And I'd always wanted to do a food truck, especially like a vegan food truck. Like at the time, which was when that restaurant closed, it was like 2008 or so. It was a very different landscape about vegan food. And I always felt like, man, the only people coming in to eat at vegan restaurants are already vegan. And I just really wanted to bring exceptional, really like extremely delicious vegan food out onto the street where people who like didn't give a crap about vegan food and just saw like this really cool looking food truck and a long line down the block and like a display case full of really nice looking pastries would just check it out because it looked fun, you know? And so after a couple of years, we saved up enough money to buy like the absolutely most beat up piece of crap food truck on all of Craigslist. And it was like, it was in such ramshackle condition. Like when I took it for a test drive, the entire exhaust system fell off and the guys were like, (laughs) we'll take off $400 for that. Don't worry. So I was like psyched, you know, so I gutted the food truck and kind of like redid it and a friend of mine helped me design a really like outlandish, crazy looking wrap for the outside. And like, I didn't really have some like long-term goal with it. I just really wanted to help, you know, change people's perception of how vegan food is. Like at the time, so much of it was either like super health food store, like macrobiotic steamed vegetables and brown rice fare or it was like on the flip side like really garbagey fake meat straight out of a freezer into a deep fryer type of food and so I really wanted to bring like kind of more elevated food that even non-vegetarians could really get into onto the street and it really blew up like I think the timing of it was really great like I launched it in 2010 and after a couple of years, we got a permit, which is a whole other crazy nightmarish story about the black market, about how you get a permit for New York City. And it just became like way more popular than my wildest dreams, which was great. But it was also like a huge learning curve for me because 
I'd worked in tons of restaurants, but I never worked in a restaurant that was ever as busy as our food truck became like every day, a full city block long line to, you know, to get lunch from us and like just making food as fast as you possibly could, but still keeping it very, you know, nicely prepared. You know, it just like presented a lot of learning challenges about how to prep stuff in like enormous batches and how to portion things and freeze certain things that could be, you know, that could be dealt with that way. So yeah, then in 2016, I opened up a restaurant with like the same concept and then another restaurant a couple of years later down by Wall Street in New York City and published a cookbook and like kind of all these different doors open and it was really rad. Like I was teaching at a couple different culinary schools. And then when the pandemic hit, like the timing was kind of really graceful for me because at the time, our main restaurant location, the building it was in, which is like just above Penn Station in front of Madison Square Garden in New York City, was going to be closing like that month anyway for like a half a billion dollar renovation they were doing on the building. And I knew like with the city going on lockdown, we just could not survive like month after month with, you know, we had like 60 full-time employees and like an enormous production kitchen in Brooklyn and just all these like just crazy overhead. And it really let me kind of put the brakes on everything. And like, I had wanted to start something more locally to where I lived because I've got kids and dogs and like, I just, I was spending so much of my time out of the house. So I closed everything down when the pandemic hit, which was really nice. Like I was able to spend the last couple of years of my elderly dog's life, snuggling with her a lot more and gave me a lot more time to do like the actual cooking stuff. Cause when you have like many locations and a ton of staff, like I just found myself doing so many things not directly related to cooking people food, like doing way more like sitting in meetings and, you know, dealing with managerial stuff. So it really gave me the opportunity to step back and kind of reassess what I wanted to be putting my time on. And so during the pandemic, I started teaching these online cooking classes. And it was like, I felt like it was such a win-win situation because teaching in culinary schools, like the price was kind of high for students to take those classes, but it was also not really that lucrative for me to do. And this way, like I could make it so much more affordable to people, but also make a real living out of it. And that's kind of like how I started making a living online more so than off of line. And and that's actually really what made me gravitate eventually towards like starting a blog on my, you know, 10 or 12 year old website that had like tons of good backlinks and stuff. I just I just really wanted to start bringing traffic to my website where people could sign up for my classes or buy recordings of previous classes or sign up for my membership thing. And so I I guess like I've kind of come into blogging from like the cooking class world, whereas probably a lot of your listeners are the other way around, like they've been blogging and are looking for some other way to monetize. So, yeah, it's maybe like a different different perspective on stuff that maybe will be helpful for folks. Yeah, definitely a 
bit of an unusual journey, but in the coolest way. Your story is so amazing. I have like a million questions I could ask you about your food truck, but maybe that will be another conversation. Oh, I do want to ask you one thing. What was your top dish at your food truck? In addition to like hot food, both like breakfast, lunch, and dinnery type menus that I created, the other thing that was like kind of unique about what I created was we had like a really serious pastry program for the, the food truck and restaurants which included like a massive variety of donuts because at the time there was like almost no one making vegan donuts. Like, I mean, there were people making like baked vegan donuts, but let's be honest, they're like cupcakes in disguise as donuts. And I just really wanted to make donuts that would be like better than anybody's not vegan donut and would be kind of the gateway drug to like people who might not be (laughs) open-minded to eating a tofu sandwich to like get them into eating more vegan food. So in addition to like really dope breakfast and lunchy stuff, we had a lot of donuts that like won awards and were featured in the New York Times and stuff like that. We did this vanilla bourbon creme brulee donut that had like a custard made with like reduced Maker's Mark bourbon in it that we won some awards for and was always really popular. And then like on the savory food side of things, We had this like beast mode burger deluxe, I called it, which was this bourbon barbecue grilled ancho chili seitan burger that had jalapeno mac and cheese, coconut bacon, arugula and chipotle mayo on a grilled pretzel bun. And we sold like a crazy number of those. It was kind of bonkers. Oh my gosh, I'm starving. That all sounds so good. (laughs) Good, Yeah, amazing. And then I also I wanted to comment on your perspective. I love your perspective and how you just kind of were like instead of being blown away by the pandemic and everything that came after that, you were like, "Okay, this is something I'm going to embrace. Now I have time with my dog." And like you just seem to have such a great outlook, which I don't often hear from people. Usually it's like the opposite. Well, I think to be honest, like to be fair, I'm I'm really like privileged to have been able to have like a a nice, graceful experience with the pandemic. Like I wasn't, you know, a single mom working three minimum wage jobs when that hit. And like, I know there are people who really suffered through the pandemic, but I'm really grateful to be able to say like, it was a very peaceful time in my life. And I got to, you know, be around my kids more and be like actually cooking and learning a lot more and I loved it. So don't tell anybody I said so, but I gave the pandemic five stars on Yelp.com. It's <laughs> three cheers for COVID-19. Well, that's good to hear. That's refreshing, yeah. right? To hear stories like that. I think it's amazing. Okay. So you're now like into cooking classes. You've been doing this for a couple of years now, correct? Yeah. Okay. So we want to hear more about this. How, I guess the first question would be you monetize and then how do you monetize? Yeah. That? So there's, there's kind of three main ways ways I monetize my cooking classes now. In the beginning, it was just like very straightforward, which is that I sold tickets for my cooking classes through Eventbrite, which makes it really, really easy if you have, you know, like whether you're doing it through Zoom or some other streaming thing, it's it's pretty easy to just sell tickets for a class through that platform. And it's nice because you can also set it up so like whatever small fees they charge come out of like the customer side of things. If you know some people are really concerned about like what it's going to cost them to sell a cooking class, but you know that that being said, these are live cooking classes at least initially, right? 
And so they happen, I do them through Zoom, but I, I kind of like over time got it a little bit finessed up and a little sexier than just a regular Zoom class. Because what I, my process, let me tell you about the monetization first and then we'll get into like the technical okay, process. Yeah. But so anyway, I, I sell these classes through Eventbrite and basically like in advance of the class, like a week ahead of time. I'll send out all the recipes, which like I'll include affiliate links in my recipes for our ingredients that might be hard to find and stuff. And that way people who want to cook along can get stuff in advance. And I kind of give instructions on like how to mise en place stuff. So it's like realistic for them to keep up with the class. Cause I tend to, I pack like a lot of stuff into my classes. I really try to make them very valuable, like both in terms of people accomplishing a lot, but also like in terms of people learning a lot about ingredients or how to modify stuff. And so then after the class, like I also send everybody who registers a recording, which I think is really helpful because there's so many people who like sign up for an online class and then realize they can't make it when the class is live. And most of those people are happy like to just get the recording anyway. So like I include that for the people who register for the live class. And then afterwards, I set up a system like on my website where people can buy basically like the class recordings and all the accompanying recipes for them, which there's a bunch of different ways to do that. Somebody turned me on to, I don't know if you're familiar with Samcart, but it's kind of like ClickFunnels, I think is their closest competitor, but it's it's a really easy way to build like kind of sales landing pages. And in addition to the landing pages have like really like easy kind of upsells on your sales page, like where somebody can like click one button and it's like, oh, you could add, you know, this other class to it or add like 31 healthy lunch ideas kind of ebook or whatever to it. There's lots of ways for you to kind of create upsells and and little like funnels within it. Like if they buy it, then they might go to another page where it's like, oh, like since you bought this, like here's a discount on my subscription if you want that or, or whatever, right? So it, it kind of creates like a secondary market where after the live classes happen, there's like, you know, eternally a place on my website where people can end up purchasing like the pizza class I taught last year or the, you know, Satan making class I taught or whatever. So that's kind of like the secondary channel of monetization of those same classes. It's like not really much extra work to set that up. Like I'll create like a small sort of teaser video with some, you know, like edited moments of the class and it's pretty easy to put together. And then, yeah, the third kind of way I monetize it is by creating a subscription for my classes. And I do that at like a lower price point than, than just people buying the one-off classes. And I usually, I also like throw in some kind of bonuses, like where they get a bunch of extra recorded classes and some other, other kind of bonus content or whatever. And that I handle like almost entirely just through ConvertKit, like where basically what's being sold is like that they get tagged onto a list that automatically gets every month's classes sent out to it and stuff. So it's not a whole lot of extra lifting on my behalf, but it kind of makes month to month the income from these classes a little bit more steady, right? Because generally like in the summertime the classes aren't as well attended and since i'm in like this vegan niche like 
you know, Veganuary is like a very busy month for me. And this way, like having some subscribers, there's like always a nice baseline that I can kind of live off of. And it, it makes it a little less unpredictable. So the last two that you mentioned, the recordings and then the subscription really are kind of hands-off and passive. I mean, once you've got them set up, right? I like to think there's anything passive about making a living online, but I'm pretty sure that's like, uh, that's not real. Like I think everything requires, I think everything (laughs) requires a little bit of work and a little bit of like maintenance. Mostly passive, 90% passive. And like, even like those sales pages, like I think to get them to convert really well, like you want to be kind of continuously running some type of testing on them, right? Like doing like for, for a while I was using Google Optimize, which is now I think being sunset and there's other things out there to do it, but you can create like what they call redirect tests where you know, if somebody clicks on a thumbnail on your website to bring you to like whatever cooking class it could you could have like two different URLs with two slightly different landing pages for it to test like oh like does the headline like this convert better or does it convert better like this does you know this color like buy now button work better than this color because you can like make all these decisions based on your whim or your like what you like but it's not really based on what works so even once the thing is up I always have a little bit of background like testing and improving I'm trying to do so that it works better. Yeah. I'm looking at your classes, your database right now, and these all look so interesting. Plant-based pizzas and cake donuts and seitan and falafel. Oh my gosh, it just goes on and on. You have put so many of these together. Yeah, because every month like I try to have I always have like at least one fully paid class like that people buy tickets for. And then most months, like sort of as a top of funnel thing, I'll either have a free or like donation based class where people could take the class for like as little as a dollar. And that keeps like bringing new people into my world. And usually that free or donation based class will be a shorter subject like me. I'm doing one tomorrow, for instance, on like empanada making because I had this line of vegan empanadas that I did in collaboration with like a friend of mine who has an empanada factory. And he, you know, like I wrote all these recipes and like he deals with shipping them out, but kind of to like promote that, that long, that product line is being relaunched. I'm doing this class to just like show people a few different kinds of empanadas to make at home. And it's like, you know, people can pay whatever they want to take it. So there's some people who just pay a dollar, you know, and some people like probably it averages out to be around 10 bucks a person. And those ones that are donation based, like so many more people sign up for them than, you know, if it's a $50 class or something. And since it's short, like it's kind of not as taxing of a thing to deal with because there's a there's a lot of behind the scenes like setup to do these classes like i just do them out of my own tiny home kitchen so setting up all the camera stuff takes a while and mise en place all the like measured out ingredients which my wife helps me with in exchange for me paying her really fancy yummy chocolates <laughs> that takes a bunch of time so having these shorter ones is like a little bit more doable in the mix. And it also just brings more people into my world and onto my mailing list and stuff like that. 
Let's chat about Rank IQ, food bloggers. Rank IQ is a powerful keyword research tool made just for bloggers. I have seen steady organic growth on my own food blog in 2022 and 2023. And the top reason for that is because I have prioritized running all of my content through this tool. Here is why Rank IQ works. One, the keywords you find are low competition keywords with the worries surrounding AI and the way Google searches may be impacted by AI in our industry. It is more important than ever to grab as many low competition keywords as possible. Two, all of the keywords in the database are handpicked so you won't find keywords in the tool that will not rank. Three, the Rank IQ Optimizer is my favorite optimizer I've ever used. It provides a comprehensive list of words that could help each post rank. Check it out for yourself by going to rankiq.com. Now back to the episode. So talk about some more of those technical details, your setups and anything else you want to Yeah, so, so you can, obviously you can do it really simple, right? Um, I feel like people are so used to getting high quality food content now. Like there's so many people on YouTube with like, full on like studios filming stuff really, really nicely that like, I feel like the bar is set kind of high and, you know, food, like you want it to look beautiful. You want people to be able to really see the textures of the food and have it properly lit and stuff. So, you know, in the beginning I was doing it pretty simple. I think I had two cameras and maybe I was, I think in the beginning I was also using like my cell phone as a camera. Cause you can, there's, you can get like a dongle for an iPhone that lets you output HDMI into a switcher. And so for me, I have this switcher, it's called the ATEM Mini, that lets you select different cameras. So like as I'm teaching next to my cutting board, I'll have this switcher and I can press, you know, button one is like the camera that shows my face and button two is like the camera that's like a top down shot of my cutting board. And number three is like what's on the stovetop. And number four, like is kind of my, depending on the class, like I might have it out near a pizza oven, or I might have it like giving a nice like side glamour shot of for just for finished dishes and stuff. Right. So yeah, in the beginning, like you can totally set it up kind of on the cheap. If you have an iPhone, you can get one of these like lightning to HDMI dongles to go into a switcher. You know, you can even do it without a switcher and people do that in Zoom. But I really like to be in full control of like what people see when at what time. So, you know, the main thing is having cameras that can send out like a clean HDMI output, like some older DSLRs won't do that. And if you hook it up to HDMI, it's really just like designed for people to use for like monitoring. So it'll show you all the like camera data on it know all the like what's in focus and what's your ISO and all this stuff. So you need to be able to send what's called a clean HDMI output, which is like just what the camera is capturing. So for an iPhone, there's like a couple apps that do that. There's one called Filmic Pro that I've used before, but now I don't really use an iPhone for it at all. I have four Sony cameras that I use, like my front facing one, because I've got a kind of small kitchen is a very like wide angle lens I have on that. I think it's maybe like 16 millimeters. And then, yeah, so then then they all go into this switcher and then I'll have like also, for me, I move around in my kitchen a lot. So for audio, I use like a lavalier mic. Rode makes this set called the Rode Wireless Go that has like a, a transmitter you can keep in your pocket. So if you're, you know, like going over there to like 
drain something in the sink, people can still hear you. And I also live with a ton of animals. So <laughs> having like a, a mic that's on me picks up a little bit less of that ambient sound. So yeah, that's kind of, that's, oh, and the, the one other like physical piece of equipment that I use has to do with controlling OBS. So OBS is like something that I started using to make these classes look like a lot slicker. I think it stands for like open broadcast system. And it's it's like a streaming software that I think like a lot of people who like make other people watch them play video games or whatever use this. It's it's like a free open source software. It's It's extremely powerful and you can get all kinds of plugins for it. But I use it so that you know, I can have like an intro screen and then like when I'm ready to start, I'll like press one button and it'll kind of like fade into the camera shot of me and I can press another button and have it programmed to like bring up the ingredients for a given recipe on the screen as I'm talking. You can do all kinds of really kooky, wild stuff with it. So the one other piece of physical equipment I have is like a controller for that, like where you can pre-program buttons to do different stuff like that, bring up ingredients. Is that pretty easy to learn? Pretty intuitive to learn? I have no background in this stuff. I'm like a sandwich chef or whatever the heck I am for a living, right? <laughs> that being said, like I had to watch a ton of YouTube tutorials that are like mostly taught by like 13 year old boys who dream of other people watching them play video games all day. So it was a bunch of learning. I don't find it to be that unintuitive, but it's it's not like a simple plug and play process. Like I think there are some systems like that now. I think I heard like Logitech make something that's like a few cameras that all go into one thing and it's pretty much designed for you to plug it in and, and be able to use it. But yeah, I mean, all these things like using OBS to like bring up overlays and have your you know, logo in the corner and make it look less like Zoom. It takes some learning. It's the learning curve. So your your listeners all learned how to use like the block editor and WordPress so they can learn anything. Right. <laughs> I found that to be way crazier to learn personally. That's what I always say, like when food bloggers are like, well, I don't know, what's the learning curve? I'm like, wait a second, you're a food blogger. You've learned so much on your own. You can do it. Right? It's so crazy. It's super nuts. Yeah, it is. So what about lighting? You kind of touched on that, that you do use lighting. What exactly do you use? Like you do for photographing your food photos for your blog. I mean, it's, you know, it's really critical. For me, my setup's like a little wacky because I'm using like a few different camera angles in one space, right? And you want to have a lighting situation where each individual shot looks good without like casting extra light on a different shot or something. So I had to really play around with lighting to get it where I wanted it for these classes. And what I have is like one humongous softbox that's like kind of facing down at a three quarters angle that pretty well lights my kind of portrait shot, but also puts a lot of nice soft light onto my cutting board area. And then I kind of have like a fill light that has a grid on it to like control the spill of the light. That's mostly for my cutting board. Cause I kept finding like, man, like I get myself looking right. And the food on my cutting board is like not lit brightly enough for you know, like anything dark, it just looks like black. Like, you you know, if you had like some sriracha in a little cup, like you would have no clue what sure. it was, you know. 
So, so yeah, I've, I really do it with like three lights, like two, two bigger soft boxes and one kind of like LED panel light with a grid on it. But yeah, it's, it's just like lighting food shots artificially. You kind of have to play around with it, but also find the balance where all of your different camera angles mm-hmm. make sense together. Yeah. Just a little experimentation is necessary, right? Yeah, yeah. I also run all of the video feeds in through like a lot, you know, like what they call a lookup table, which is, it's almost like a preset you can apply to video footage to like do kind of color correction to get everything looking just right. And that helps to kind of like make all the different camera shots feel congruent in some way. So yeah, that that's something I do in OBS. Okay, cool. In my mind, I have a picture of your entire setup, and I'm sure it's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> I'll have to send you a picture of it. It's kind of fun. Yeah, that would it, be amazing. I have like a tiny ass little home kitchen, but it works. Oh, <laughs> you make it work. Yeah. Which is the point. Yes. And then you said that you do your live classes on Zoom. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Is there anything special you do there? Sure. So it's a little tricky because... I always like to monitor like the chat in my Zoom while I'm teaching because that's how I I request my students like ask their questions throughout the class so that it doesn't like disturb anybody else or end up in the recording like their their screen popping up. You know how Zoom works like whoever's the speaker kind of like dominates the screen. So so I instead have everybody like keep muted the whole time but ask questions in the chat and So while I'm cooking and while I'm like also operating these cameras through a controller, I'm also like keeping an eye on the chat and trying to answer those questions live, which is, I kind of like it. It's really fun. But the tricky part is like looking into a camera and answering them because it's, it's really easy to be like, you're staring down at a laptop screen and it just looks really awkward as, as a person. I know ways around it. Like I could get a teleprompter type of thing and like, mirror my laptop screen onto the teleprompter so I'm like looking into the camera even if I'm reading comments but it's just like I've already thrown so much money at this cooking class setup like and it's I also just like a limited amount of space and adding a teleprompter would eat into that a bit. Wow okay yeah I didn't even think about that piece of it like having to look somewhere and pretend it's wacky. And yeah, you know, there's another couple like considerations if you're using Zoom for a cooking class that I want to mention just because they might be helpful to people. One is that the default resolution for Zoom is awful. Like it's like 360 or something. it's like, I forget what it is. It's like a 16th of HD resolution. It's really small. If you get their like business plan, you can you have to like put in a call and request it, but they can give you full HD, like 1080p resolution, which looks a lot, a lot better. It really only makes sense if you're having regularly classes that have like at least 100 students in it, though. Otherwise, it's okay. pretty costly. But you can like without do that without doing that, like in the settings of Zoom, you can select a slightly higher resolution. I think it's like whatever is half of 1080p whatever's the next step down, it's like 760 or something like oh, that. Oh, sure. 720 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. 720. I think that's what it is. So yeah, that's just a settings thing. The other thing that's like a really wacky setting with Zoom that I think people like always need to mess with for classes is they have some kind of like default, like background noise suppression thing built into Zoom. 
And it really like messes up the audio, especially if you're like running a blender or something loud and then you go back to talking, like it takes a while before it takes that noise suppression off. So like for a little bit, people can't hear what you're saying. And there's just like some, there's some settings to mess with in Zoom if that's going to be your weapon of choice. The other thing that I do is for the recording of the class, I do that outside of Zoom so that no matter what Zoom's like compression settings are, you still end up with something in full resolution. So like I do that in OBS, what's going into Zoom so that it's at full 1080p, even if Zoom is not. And any, you know, like anything that might happen in Zoom, like whether it's like your internet crashes or some other hiccup happens, like no matter what, you can still make the full class recording, even if there's some kind of like internet glitch. Yeah, it's just like a good, good like redundancy. I never would have thought of that. So like I'll also record it to the cloud in Zoom if, you know, just as a backup thing, but recording it outside yeah. kind of, especially if you're planning to like sell those recordings later on, you want it to be as high quality as possible. Sure. Yep. Cool. Okay. That was a lot of great information. I want to ask you about how you market. Is there anything with the technical details that you want to cover before we go into marketing? No, I, th- I think that covers kind of a lot of it. I mean, the, the only like other technical thing is like if you're doing like food blogging, it's really nice to have a camera that can kind of be used for both. Like I have several cameras in my setup that are really only for video, but my kind of a camera that I use for my portrait shots is a Sony a7 IV, which is also like a really good kind of hybrid camera for shooting food photographs with. And so it's nice to like not have to have cameras you can't use for your other work. So if you're like looking to invest in cameras for a class, like just keep it in mind that you should have something that's also helpful to your other like food photography needs. Because there's a lot of cameras that are like sort of video only. Very cool. Okay, so let's talk about marketing. How do you market these classes? So I'm lucky in that, you know, before I was doing this, I had this pretty popular food truck. So I, I had like a pretty active social media following and stuff. But I really feel like the days of social media are long over. Like, I, you know, there's still people somehow growing their thing. If you want to spend like lots of your time editing reels and TikToks, which I really don't want to spend my time doing, but largely like the days of like organic reach on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are really over as of like six or seven years ago. I felt like so lucky that the timing of when I started my food truck was like the prime time for that. Like I could have like 5,000 people following me and I could put out like a picture on Facebook and like a hundred thousand people might see it, you know, because people would share it and whatnot. And now like I have 50,000 people following me. And if I don't throw any money at it, like 80 people will see it. It's really kind of become only helpful as like a paid advertising platform. And so I do that. I really hate the Facebook ads manager. Like I feel like every time I'm in there, they've like changed it and Like you have to just be like a full-time marketing person to like really get the most out of it. And so since I sell my classes through Eventbrite, they have this thing called Eventbrite Boost, which is like some extra, it's like a $50 a month fee to pay to be in this program. And what it is, 
is it's like a, a real simplification of dealing with like Facebook ads manager where you can put in a few different pictures and a few different like ad copies and then like put in a few different targeted audiences. And then like as you run it, it kind of throttles whichever creatives are functioning the best and sending like more funding to whichever audience is actually responding best. And so it kind of takes a lot of the fiddly side of that out of the picture, which I really appreciate. What I found really works the best is not really reaching out sort of to like cold audience through that too much. Like mostly it's like retargeting for people who have already taken my classes, which, you know, in the event that like you're teaching lots of like free and donation based classes, that can be like a huge pool of people and people who have like visited my website because you can you know put a Facebook pixel on your website and track sort of who's been there and serve ads to those people who already have some interest in your little world. And that's what I found works better than just like targeting people who are vegan in this or that city between this or that age. Like I feel like that's kind of a real shot in the dark. And I, I just get a lot better results with sort of using Facebook marketing to like retarget people who already are somewhat interested in what I do. And then do you have a big email list or maybe that's what you're going to say? You know, I never had an email list like for the entire time I ran my food truck. And I just started building one like during the pandemic as I started teaching these classes. And it's not massive, but it's really healthy. Like I, I use ConvertKit and I have like a filter set up so that like Basically, anyone who doesn't like open an email within like 30 days, I just get like removed from my list. So my open rate is like 70 something percent. And the click through rate is really, really good. And I try to, you know, give a lot of informative, helpful, like not markety content in my automations on my email list so that when I do have a class that's for sale, like people are it's like, it's not like they're just getting bombarded with ads from my thing, you know? So that's, that's kind of been one really nice addition to marketing for me is, is email marketing. And you know, like my list is slowly growing, but I'm, I'm always kind of like calling it to keeping it just like really people who want to be receiving those emails. And then, yeah, like the other, the other marketing thing is really, having having a blog and finding ways to incorporate like leads to your classes in your blog. So there's a bunch of different ways. Like obviously you can have like a little, you know, thumbnail in your sidebar, though like, you know, everybody's on mobile now and stuff. So there's there's ways to put some really good like in content links to like I have an in content link for my my membership, but as well, like there's a couple different ways to create these sort of like dynamic reusable blocks so that, and this is something I'm just starting to play around with now. So I'll have to get back to you on how well it works. But, you know, I have, for instance, like an Indian food, like Sattvic Indian food class recording. And so I can have a block that only shows like a sort of thumbnail and information about that class in the content of Indian recipes. And then I might have like a different one where if like it's in a Italian category, there's like a little in content link to like my pizza making class so that you're showing people stuff that's like actually relevant to what they're interested in. It's not just like throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping like 
the person looking at your Indian food thing also wants to like take your taco making class. So that's, I mean, that's like even that's straight up like why I created my blog is as like a marketing funnel to my classes. Like that's like my primary, you know, source of revenue. Amazing. I love your kind of bare bones approach too. Like if something is trending toward not working, like some social media platforms, you're just like doing something different, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I I think, and I've totally heard this on your podcast before. I'm glad like I'm not the only one who feels this way. Like it's, it's so easy to feel like pressured, like you have to be active on every single thing. And like, dude, I don't have time to be playing around with TikTok. That stuff takes way too much time. It's so easy to get sidetracked. And then like, you're sitting there like looking at some dude like dressed up like a, you know, spaghetti doing a dance or whatever. (laughs) Like, I just, I don't have time for it. And it's like, it's not like a fulfilling use of my time. So I I just don't do that stuff. It's refreshing. Another point of refreshment from you, Adam, just giving people permission not to feel like they have to do those things. I'm just like a ice cold glass of kiwi berry snapple (laughs) in the mist. I'm completely refreshing. Lemonade, fresh lemonade. I love it so much. And then I have one question for you about just subject matter, because I feel like your subject is so great for video and like cooking class consumption, because people who become vegan, they need to learn this stuff and they like seitan and cheese. And there's so many things that are kind of mysterious about veganism. But for the rest of us, it's like, what could we make classes about that would be Oh, no, no, no. You got it wrong. Like, everybody's got to learn how to cook yummy food. And we're living in an age where more and more people don't have that life skill. Like, more and more people are growing up, like, not cooking with their grandma for some reason and stuff. And Mm. whether, you know, your audience has some, like, hyper-focused, you know, thing or some dietary thing or not, like, you know, you've got a huge audience of people who come to your blog all the time to learn how to cook X, Y, and Z from you. Like, it's just, it's, and you're, hopefully you're like an expert in making those things. So whatever your thing is, like, go for it. There's already an audience of people who are like spending time on your blog, learning it from you about whatever it is. So for sure, you could teach them how to cook in other ways. Well, of course you would say that because you're a refreshing glass of lemonade. I love that. I always get stuck in that thought that, I don't have anything novel or exciting to teach people. So I just shut that down. Yeah, thousands of people disagree with you. You show up on your website all the time. Like you, you have put a lot of time and I say you like everyone who's listening to this, like who has a blog and has spent, you know, countless hours recipe testing and fiddling around. Like you all have people who are interested in hearing from you and, you know, not on the other hand, not everybody's like comfortable in front of a camera, though. You know, that's that's a whole other story. And it took me a while to learn that. Like, I was lucky that early on in my culinary profession, I got to like be on a bunch of Food Network stuff and PBS stuff. And it kind of got me more comfortable speaking in front of a camera or like teaching, you know, cooking demos at like a big veg fest or something like that. It takes some time to like figure out how to be comfortable in that you know setting and convey your 
you know, your style in a way that comes off nicely. So, I mean, that that's the one thing that yeah. like, that's not for everybody. Yeah. Some people just really are not comfortable with it. Yeah. 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 Work. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Wow. So you talked through a lot, monetization, technical details, marketing. Is there anything that you want to be sure we mentioned before we start saying goodbye? Well, I have this new really fun thing that I'm working on, but it's going to be so off the wall different from anything I've ever done that I'm like straight up not really talking about it yet. But I'm launching it like this month and I'm so psyched because I really have been missing like directly cooking for other people. There's so many people who like I share that I have some class coming up and they're like, yo, we don't want to learn from you how to cook. We just want you to cook for us. And so I'm I'm looking forward to doing a little bit of that again, but I'm also like, it's, it's something very compartmentalized because, you know, having a restaurant leaves you like no time to do any of this other stuff. And I've really come to love like putting out a few blog posts a week and doing a couple classes a month and like having time to do culinary consulting and a little catering and, so this this little thing is like just something I can pull off with my kids locally and it's going to be Aww. 100% wild, wacky and weird cuz I want it to be Aww. as much fun for me as it's going to be for the people eating the food. So it's going to be super intrigued. You have us all on the edge of our seats here. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> nice work. And then I was looking at your blog. It is so I mean, it's just like, it doesn't look like the cookie cutter blog, which is good. And again, refreshing. I love how you have. I'm trying, you know, like, I think it's obviously it's like a real balance for bloggers, I think, to give their blog some personality and style, but still have it be really optimized. And like, I'd like mine to still look yet a little bit cooler and more custom, but you know, like it's so new to me that I just want to like get it functioning well before I start like making it go to haywire what theme do you use out of curiosity it's like a feast theme you know it's like the foodie pro theme but i've i've used some like those like cadence blocks and stuff like that to create some fun little customizations and then like a lot of the non-blog post pages i kind of like created my own full page template for that like doesn't have the sidebar and like gives me a little bit more room to do other like visually nice looking things with it. But yeah, like for the general blog posts, it's just like, you know, like a, a template with the booty pro theme. Yeah, cool. A little bit of CSS here and there, but nothing too crazy. Sure. That's like, even that's like science fiction for me to learn how to do that. <laughs> yes, it can be hard to learn. And then I found Michael Lotito. I found some websites on him. So if you're if anyone's interested in exactly what he ate in his lifetime, 18 bicycles, seven TVs, two beds, 15 supermarket trolleys, a computer, a coffin, a pair of skis, six chandeliers, and of course the airplane. Yeah. And he limited his bicycle eating to two a year. Yeah. You got you gotta have some self-control there. You know, he was like on a diet. <laughs> you, you can't mess around. It's like probably like not very good for your cholesterol to eat like more than two or three bicycles a year. Oh my goodness, was this guy mentally well? I mean, I don't I can't find anything about Yeah, I watched like a, a video of him out to dinner with his wife and like he seemed kind of normal except he was like legit eating the plates and glasses on the table but otherwise he seems like a pretty 
like down to earth fella, you know? Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to read up on him. Thank you, Adam. You are so refreshing. I loved our chat. I feel like we could have about a million more of them. So if you ever want to come back on Eat Blog Talk, please do. The invitation is there. Your podcast was so helpful in me, like figuring out how to do a food blog. I listened to countless, countless, countless episodes and your voice is so lovely. It sounds so like friendly and fun and young. And it's just lovely to chat with you in real life. Oh, that is the best compliment. Thank you. Truly such a great conversation today. Do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with? So my favorite quote is from Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and it's that uh, you should eat more spaghetti in the bathtub, is what he said. Oh my gosh. My boys are in love with The Rock. I don't really know. I don't really know if he said that, to be honest. I I just made that up. But hopefully he said. Okay, I'm going to look. I'm going to look it up. You could trust me on that. (laughs) Yeah, my, so I live with three boys, including my husband, and they are all obsessed with The Rock. So I get like quotes and images and all kinds of rock. Now I'm even more proud of you for surviving in a boy-filled house. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) I got like two girls and like most of our dogs are girls. And like the only male person other than me in this house is our wallaby. And he's like pretty chill as far as boys go. But yeah, I, my yeah. my sister will come over and she'll bring her two little boys. And every time they leave, I'm like, you know, I don't know how people survive ha- having little boys. It's like too much energy. It is so much energy. And okay, so I have two boys, a husband, and both of our pets are male. So I am in a house of, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, five to one. No girls. I'm the only one. I don't know how you do it. Oh, I survived. I've survived so far somehow. Give you a lot of props. (laughs) All right, Adam, we're going to put together show notes for you. If anyone wants to go look at those, head over to eatblogtalk.com forward slash cinnamon snail. Tell everyone where they can find you, Adam. You can find me online at cinnamonsnail.com. Woo. And I'm also the East Coast Regional Representative from Gatorade.com. Gatorade? It's not true. I I have no affiliation (laughs) with Gatorade. I was like, wait a second, what are we... Sorry about that. It's just cinnamonsnail.com. That's so funny. All right, everyone go check Adam out. Thank you so much for being here again, Adam. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. Don't forget to head to forum.eatblogtalk.com to join our free discussion forum and connect with and learn from like-minded peers. I will see you next time.